I want you to turn with me today to the book of Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at three different passages in Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But there's a powerful truth that I want us to see in these passages today. I've titled my message, Unstoppable Christianity. How many want to be an unstoppable Christian? Church, we need to be unstoppable in the hour we live in. We're facing so many uh, just struggles, spiritual struggles and physical struggles, all these different type of struggles that we're encountering today in our nation. And, and we're experiencing persecution. But church, we are unstoppable when we are in the vine, when we're connected to Jesus. Amen? And His life is flowing through us. And so I want to look at, look at one... We can go through God's Word and you can see many, many what we would call unstoppable Christians, believers that, that trusted God. But today I want to look at one that you may think was stopped, but he wasn't. So let's begin with chapter 6, verse 8 and uh, through verse 15 this morning. Then Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now this is the first instance that is recorded in Scripture where one of the regular members of the church, just another believer, was operating in the spiritual gifts besides the apostles. Up until this time, it was just the apostles. But now we see where God is working through Stephen. He's a man full of faith and full of power. And he did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the free men, Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those in Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Church, that is a gift from the Lord as well. Amen? It's a gift that I pray for, that people can't resist. You know, we have people come all the time into church, and, and uh, they're, sometimes they're different denominations. Sometimes they don't know the Lord at all. And my, my constant prayer is, Lord, give me favor with the people, that they'll see, I just love people, and I want them to know the, the Word of God, and I want their lives to be transformed by you. And, and, and we see God allowing Stephen to speak and it's amazing what takes place. Verse 10 says, And there were not, they were not able to resist the wisdom. Do you think this is human wisdom? No, it's godly wisdom. It's divine wisdom. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, by which He spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard Him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say 
that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Now, that's not true. What he was referring to was Jesus talking about the temple of his body and it being destroyed and then being raised again. Verse 15 says, And all who sat at the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Does that mean he all of a sudden had softer skin and pudgy cheeks? And No, it means the glory of God was rest upon him. Amen? Just like Moses, when Moses came down from the mountain and had that encounter with God, and his face glowed because of the presence of God, the glory of God was manifest. And church, I pray, I pray that I get to experience that someday. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. Lord, we want your glory to rest upon us so that wherever we go in this world, people look at us and they see that we are with you, that your presence is on our life, your grace, your mercy, your love. Lord, I want your glory to be seen in my life. Now I want you to jump over to Acts chapter 7. This is about seven to eight years after Pentecost. And I want us to look at verse 51 in chapter 7 and then jump down to verse 54. Now here, he's he's bold and he's declaring something to those that were coming against him. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Now I want to stop there for just a minute. That's not what you say to win friends and influence people. But what I want us to see is he was dealing with those that were pushing against God and what God was doing. They were resisting God. They didn't want God to move. They didn't want to hear it. And so he is getting forceful in what he is saying. And church, I want to tell you, there will be times when... God lays something on a pastor's heart that will come and it will, it will be something that steps on your toes. Why? Is it the pastor picking on you? No. Most likely he doesn't know anything about what you're struggling with. But God uses that because he wants us all to grow. Amen? And so the... Too many times people will get offended because a a pastor or teacher, evangelist, somebody will say something and it'll hit them direct on. And it'll hit them because they know that's an area in their life that they need to surrender to God and God needs to work there. And so church, I encourage you not to live in offense, but to live with a heart that's open And when God points his finger at your heart and says, I want to touch this, say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. But he was telling them they're stiff-necked in this this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So they just got angry. They didn't want to hear it. 
But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Now that was very mature, wasn't it? They're acting like a toddler saying, no, 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 no. They didn't want to hear it. They're stopping their ears and then crying out. Look at verse 58. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Two things. Scripture there says, uses the term to fall asleep. And it uses that term because Jesus used that term when he was speaking of death because he robbed death of its fear. When we face death as Christians, it's just like falling asleep and waking up in the arms of Jesus. Amen? The second thing there I wanted us to see was his words. He, he, he knelt down and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. That's amazing. That's, that's like Jesus and what Jesus said from the cross. That had to rattle those people. When they, when they saw Stephen come to this point, He's not fighting back. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He doesn't have resentment against them. He loves them. And it's amazing. And he's saying, God, don't charge this sin towards them. He, he knew they didn't understand, that they didn't know what they were doing. And so he's crying out for God to show mercy to them. And what an amazing thing that is. Look at, look at uh, chapter 8 now. There's one other passage I want to look at. It's about Saul. We, we noted that Saul in the previous chapter was there and he was all for the death of Stephen. Rooting them on. Now, now look at uh, verses 1-4 through four in chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Stephen was unstoppable. And you, you may be thinking, well, Pastor, you just read in Scripture where they stopped him. But I want to assure you, church, you're never going to go to be with Jesus until Jesus is ready for you and you've finished His purpose for your life. 
There are various scriptures that teach us that. One of them is in Job, chapter 14, verse 5. And it's speaking of mankind in general. And it says, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. He's talking about God. He's talking about God. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. We cannot add any days to our life. But church, you can rest assured that you're not going to die until Jesus is ready to take you and receive you home. God could have prevented Stephen from dying, but it was in God's master plan. Because you noticed in that passage this powerful truth. When, when, he, when Stephen dies and is martyred, the church realizes the tremendous persecution from Saul... And so the church is scattered everywhere. And that is what enabled them to fulfill the Great Commission. If there was no persecution, they would have probably just stayed there in Jerusalem and had church. And had a great time praising and worshiping Jesus. But because of the persecution and the death of Stephen, the church is scattered and the Great Commission is being fulfilled. I love that. It says, they went everywhere preaching the Word. And so, church, don't ever think that you're not going to fulfill your plan and your purpose that God has established for you as long as you're tied to Him, as long as you're living for Him and you're not coming against Him, you're going to fulfill the, the plan and purpose of God. Aren't you thankful for that? Stephen finished what God called him to do. And he went home to be with Jesus. Stephen was unstoppable until Jesus stood and welcomed him home. Years ago, I was working as a deputy sheriff. And I was working in the, the main jail facility in Fort Worth, Texas. And there was an incident that took place... I was, I was watching 60 inmates. There was a wall here. There were two doors beside me. I had a desk here. And I watched 30 men on this side and 30 men on this side. Well, one of the men on this side was very strong, big guy. And he was running that cell group. He was doing whatever he wanted to do. He would take other guys' food. He would take their commissary. He just did whatever he wanted. And several guys came and, and reported that to me. And so I started watching. And when I caught him doing that, I opened the, the door and I called another uh, guard over. I went inside. I locked myself in that, in that cell with 30 men. And I tossed my keys out to the other jailer. And I walked over and I sat down on this guy's bunk. And that's something you do not do. Because that's his private space. And I sat down and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. And he looked at me and he, he had this look on his face like, you've got to be the dumbest person I've ever met. <laughs> he said, who do you think you are? And I said, I'm the guy who's running this pod. You're not. And he was just taken back. And he said, don't you understand? He said, there's 30 of us in here. 
We could kill you in an instant, way before anybody could come and help you. And I looked at him, and I, I said, you can't touch a hair on my head unless the God that I serve allows it. And he shook his head, and he said, you're a crazy preacher. And I said, I know what you've been doing in here, and it's going to stop. Stop taking stuff that belongs to the other guys. And so after that, I walked over and I walked out, and the, and the whole pod was just shaking their head like, that guy's nuts. But it wasn't because I was trying to be foolish. It wasn't because that I was crazy. It was because I know who I am in Jesus. It's because I know that until Jesus is ready for me, whatever I face, God is there with me. And I'm not going home to be with Jesus until the moment He stands to receive me just like Stephen. So church, in these times that we're being persecuted, it's getting worse. The Bible says it's going to continue to get worse. Guess what? We are still unstoppable Christians because we have the power of Jesus Christ, His presence, His anointing on our lives. And we're going to fulfill the awesome plan that God has for us. And I believe that's a message for us as a church body, not just as individuals. I believe that God has greater things ahead for our church body. Amen? I believe that we're going to see God move in power and might. And so I want you to have that heart today. I want you to have that mindset. I'm an unstoppable Christian. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them this morning, I'm an unstoppable Christian. I want you to see Stephen not as a man who's cowering or whimpering or being godly just because he knows he's about to die. But I want you to see a man who was formed by God. Who, a man of faith. A man of Holy Spirit power and anointing that wasn't afraid and knew that his life belonged to the Lord. It's interesting that the Greek word for witness actually is the same word that we get our word martyr for, from. We get our word martyr from the same Greek word that's used for witness. And I think that's powerful because a genuine witness for Jesus isn't worried about our own life. We're worried about the gospel and other people coming to know Jesus. Amen? In, in the... In the chapter 7, I want us to look at something here. In chapter 7, at the end, it says that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. He was the one, it says, that they laid their coats at his feet. Now that doesn't mean that Saul there was a, a, a coat boy. The idea there that's contained is that he was the one that was superintending the event. He was the one that was directing everybody, directing the stoning of Stephen. And we see later where Saul uh, becomes a great persecutor in the church. 
And Saul, who was to become the Apostle Paul, had an encounter with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to read all through that today, but I want to encourage you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're never going to be the same. Your life is permanently transformed, changed. You're not the same anymore. Amen? When when you have a genuine encounter, and that's why I pray all the time, Lord, it's your presence in this place that's going to change hearts and lives. It's your presence in this building, Lord. You... Lord, it can change lives. I can't do anything. It's the presence of Jesus. You remember in the encounter that Saul had on the road to Damascus, a great light shined upon him and he, and he fell down and he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers him and says, I am Jesus whom you persecute who you persecuted. And then listen to what else he said. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Now a goad was a long stick that had a pointed end that they would use to poke the oxen or the cattle to get them to move. And so the picture there is powerful. Jesus is telling Saul, who becomes Paul, You keep pushing against the goad and the goad continues to poke you and prick you. He's kind of saying, you know, what's wrong with you? (laughs) It wasn't fun. It doesn't make sense. But what's powerful is, I want you to ask this question to yourself. What was it that Saul or Paul was continuing to push against that was goading him. Well, we know he has an encounter with Jesus. That was the ultimate goad. But the majority of Bible scholars believe that it was his witnessing the death of Stephen and seeing God's glory on Stephen and seeing Stephen in the midst of being stoned to death show grace And pray, Lord, don't hold this against them. That had to continue to goad against Saul or Paul. It had to continue to poke him. And he had to be wondering, what is there? I don't believe in this, but yet look at at what this faith in Jesus did to Stephen. Look, Look what this man did. How can this be? And then Jesus now appears to him and tells him he's continuing to press against that goad. And Jesus tells him, it's me, Jesus. That's who your Lord is. I love that. There's another passage of Scripture I want us to look at in Acts chapter 9. We're going through these chapters in this story, and there's something else I want us to see. In Acts chapter 9, verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight. This is God speaking to Ananias now. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he is praying. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God used an ordinary man, Stephen. Now he uses another ordinary man, Ananias. And Ananias, first of all, says, Oh Lord, I know about this guy. I know what he's doing. He's been given authority to to bind every Christian and to throw us in prison. But God says, I've got a special calling on his life. So he says, Yes, Lord. So God uses two ordinary men and, and before we go any farther, God uses ordinary women too. Amen. So ladies, don't think that you're not being accepted here today. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Ananias here, he prays for him. He lays hands on him and God restores the blindness. In church, we need to understand God wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Amen? So turn to somebody now and tell them, you're ordinary, but God wants to do something extraordinary through you. (laughs) Y'all are having too much fun with that. God uses ordinary people. Notice Stephen, he he was called to be a deacon, but he had a a mundane task to see about feeding the widows. It, It wasn't, you know, huge. It wasn't miraculous. But it says that he was doing miraculous things. Church, God wants to do miraculous things through the church in these last days. Amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He still uses ordinary people. Now look at verse 3 back in Acts 6. Scripture says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. This is when they, they call Stephen to be one of the deacons. And notice, unstoppable people are people of good reputation. It begins with good reputation. It begins with us coming to know Christ and making a commitment to Jesus and then allowing Jesus to fill our lives and have His way in us that we begin to walk the walk and talk the talk. I'm not saying that we're perfect, 
But I'm saying people aren't going to point to you and say, oh, that so-and-so, they did this and they did that and they did this. No, your reputation is going to change when you come to Jesus. You're not the same anymore. So their, their reputation changed. And God starts with people at that point. They were people that had a record of integrity. Church, so many times when we fail as Christians in the area of integrity, all those around us are affected. And I'm not saying we're perfect, but church, we as Christians should have a heart that says, God, I want to serve you. Lord, I don't want to get caught in the traps of the enemy. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to have a reputation where people who see my life know that my reputation is good. It's godly. That I am striving to live for Jesus. I want to be that kind of person. How about you? Next, Stephen was a man, it says, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he wanted all that God had for him. And church, I'll be the first to tell you, I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit in my life. It's the Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's strength. Acts 1 and 8 tells us, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power to live the life, to walk the walk. Power to see the gifts of the Spirit work through your life. And it's wanting more and more and more of Jesus. Church, I want to be that kind of a pastor. I want to be that kind of a church where we're never satisfied with where we are in our walk. We always want God to do more through our lives. Amen? Your life and my life touch people. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes church, we... We may pray for someone and, and then just go on and kind of forget about it and, and never realize that God answered our prayers in a powerful way. I shared this not long ago, but I'll share it again. About three months ago, I was back down in Wrangell in southeast Alaska. and I was, I was called there to do a funeral for an old friend. And while I was there, there was a young lady that gave a testimony that I had forgotten about. She was having epileptic seizures. And she went to several different specialists and, and different doctors, and all of them said, there's nothing we can do about this. You're going to have these seizures for the rest of your life. And so she came to me in the church, and she said, I want you all to pray for me. And we began to pray for her. And we prayed that God would do what the doctors couldn't. And church, I thank God for doctors. I thank God for nurses. But church, there are some things they can't do. But nothing is impossible for our God. And she came and she said, Pastor, from the time that you prayed that prayer, that I would never have another seizure until this day. And that was about you know, 25 years ago, she said, I've never had another seizure in my life. And church, I, I share that because I forgot all about that. 
I didn't even remember praying for her. But God did a great miracle in her life. And God wants to use you to do miracles in the lives of other people. So church, let's begin to to cry out, God, I want to be unstoppable. I don't want anything to stop me, to hinder me, Lord, from, from doing all that you've called me to do in every way. He says he was a man of wisdom, and it wasn't earthly wisdom. How many of you need wisdom? Every hand in the building should be going. Why? Because we're human. We make mistakes. Sometimes we don't use wisdom. I had a friend that sent me a little cartoon last night, and it said, how to tell somebody that they're not very wise. And it said something along these lines. It says, wisdom has chased you, but you always outrun it. (laughs) I don't know what he was trying to tell me there, but. (laughs) But we have a promise in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Amen? That's God's promise for you. Before you make any big decisions in your life or or even little decisions, say, God, I need your wisdom for this. Should I do this or not? Amen? We'll save us a lot of headaches, a lot of heartaches if we just ask for divine wisdom. Amen? Now, some people think that if we Ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit or baptize us with the Holy Spirit that it makes us do crazy things. In church, that's not true. The only people that do crazy things or goofy things because the Holy Spirit's on them are those that were already crazy or goofy. (laughs) Seriously. You don't have to be afraid to cry out and ask God for everything He's got. Because He wants you to experience it. He wants you to live a life where you're unstoppable. I am stoppable without Jesus. I'm stoppable without the Holy Spirit's wisdom and the Holy Spirit's power. But church, when I have the wisdom and the power of God, I'm going to be able to fulfill His plan and His purpose because the anointing of God rests upon my life. The anointing. The anointing, we see it in, in, in 1 John. It's powerful. It says that you have an anointing from the Holy One. It's not our personal anointing. It's Jesus' anointing. We have the Holy Spirit, the, the anointing of God upon our lives, and it's the promise of God's presence and God's power to fulfill His purpose in your life. So we need that Holy Spirit's anointing. And finally, in verse 5 in our original text, it says, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. The word faith there is actually the word grace. And grace is, is unmerited favor. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. How about you? 
Because of my sin, I deserve death. I deserve separation from God. But because of His grace, Jesus died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for you. That we could have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? We're not getting what we deserve. We're getting what God's blessing with. I'm so thankful for that. Love replaces fear. Forgiveness replaces guilt. Life instead of death. Health instead of sickness. All these things are because of the grace of God. And Stephen was able to function and accomplish God's plan for him because of the grace of God. Finally, in Acts chapter 11, there's another verse I want to look at. A couple of verses and we're about through. In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it says, The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. The grace of God is the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And that's what God intended. So that we can truly be unstoppable. Unstoppable. And back in in verse 8 in the original text... And Stephen, full of faith, grace, and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. He's the first one outside of the apostles mentioned in Scripture that begins to operate in the miraculous. Church, I still believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? I believe that He heals. I believe that He delivers. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. And if you're that person that Melanie was talking about, it feels like your heart is just wrapped in barbed wire and you're, you're being poked constantly and you're being tormented. Guess what? Today is the day Jesus is going to set you free. I believe that. He's going to set you free today. He's going to heal that wound. He's going to heal that heart. He's going to restore you and you're going to be unstoppable. How many want to be unstoppable today? Amen. I want you to stand with me. I want the worship team to come forward if they will. This message the Lord laid on my heart today was a simple message. But at the same time, it was an amazing message. How God uses... An ordinary man named Stephen and an ordinary man named Ananias to touch and see Paul's life changed. You don't know whose life you're going to touch. But when you're living for Jesus full of faith in the Spirit of God, God's going to use you to touch lives that you may never Know that you touched until we're in heaven. And that's my prayer. I want to be unstoppable. How about you? I'm going to ask the worship or the prayer team to 
take their places and we're going to give just a moment. If there's something that you're struggling with or maybe you want to intercede for a friend or a family member. But as they're coming today, I'm going to pray for you that you'll be unstoppable. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the example that we have in Stephen. And Lord, some people look and they just see the first martyr. But Lord, I see an unstoppable man that you used. The life he lived kept pricking against Saul. That goad kept poking him. He saw something in Stephen that he didn't have. He saw the glory of God in his face. He saw him not bitter and resentful and fighting against those that were trying to stone him. But he saw a man who was humble. A man who loved them and understood they didn't know what they were doing. A man who prayed that that sin wouldn't be accounted to them. Lord, that continued to move on Saul's heart. And then when you blinded him and you encountered him on the road to Damascus and he cried out, Who are you, Lord? That was the final encounter. And he surrendered his life. And he was unstoppable. Father, I pray that every person in this building would be unstoppable. Lord, that we would recognize it's not by our might or our power, our giftedness. But it's when we surrender all to You. When we say, Lord, use me for Your glory. Lord, come into my life. Lord, save me. Lord, make me a person of faith. A person of power. Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit that I can go forth in the power and the demonstration of God. Lord, that I can truly be unstoppable. Lord, let this be a church that is unstoppable. No matter the persecution, no matter what we face, Lord, we're going to gather together. And Lord, You've promised where two or three are gathered in Your name that You are there in the midst of them. Lord, we welcome You. You are here today. And Lord, make us unstoppable. Use us for Your glory. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.